today on Ag News Daily. It's going to take a lot of rain to get guys motivated to want to uh, get out and put corn on the ground and spend some money because it's, it's pretty tough. Listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast, Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. Enjoyed a couple of nice days here in a stretch of weather. Probably going to be able to get some of these Midwest farmers wrapped up. Oh, Siri wanted to participate this morning, Delaney. We will then say it is Tanner, Delaney, and Siri here to host the podcast this morning. Okay, Tanner, I guess we can allow that today. <laughs> they're always watching and they're always listening. Yeah, that's true. It's not fun, but it is true. So back to my weather comments. We've got some thunderstorms in the forecast this afternoon for parts of the Southern Plains. Saw a couple of friends on Twitter from Texas that didn't want to jinx anything, but saw 80% chances of rain. Uh, they didn't want to see 100. They felt like 100 is more likely to fail then 80. So hopefully our friends in the dry portions of Oklahoma and Texas get the rain that are, is expected to head there. Nearly two thirds of those states are under uh, thunderstorm watches. So hopefully that rain comes nicely for them. Could be some early morning storms here in the north to northeast. Main threat for thunderstorms will be uh, late afternoon on Thursday. We don't want to see any damaging winds, but there is a chance for that, along with some small hail and localized flash flooding. We'll continue to watch the flooding around the Mississippi River. Of course, that's between Iowa and Illinois. Uh, Eastern Iowa right now has scheduled likely showers for tomorrow into Friday, which would uh, hamper the recovers of that flood water levels. So that's what I've got for weather this morning, Delaney. Well, I've got a quick weather headline here related to actually today's interview. We're going to be chatting about wheat, winter wheat in the Kansas drought areas, but day one of the hard red winter wheat tour results are in. And as expected, things came in fairly low. Um, disappointing yields were reported across Tuesday's winter wheat quality council hard red winter wheat tour which began the three-day trip, very similar to the crop progress or pro-farmer crop tour, I should say, that happens later in the year for corn and soybeans. But the first day's total weighted average was 29.8 bushels per acre, very close to Friday's WASDE report prediction, which came in at 29 bushels per acre. So WASDE is definitely in line with what folks are seeing out in the field. And that average 29.8 bushels per acre is down 25% compared to last year's day one, which sampled identical routes um, in the state's different regions. So this is the lowest day one average we've seen in a really long time, said Aaron Harry's vice president of research and operations with the Kansas Wheat Commission. So Certainly not looking too pleasant so far on that tour, but the further east you go, the better the crop gets a little bit with the state's hard red winter wheat looking better, but nowhere overall, they said, seemed great. Yeah, it's interesting to watch this tour on Twitter. Uh, of course, you get the opinions from both sides of the spectrum, especially entertaining to watch those that feel uh, like this tour impacts one direction or the other, but uh, certainly something that I just watch and don't participate in. Wanted to give listeners an update on the bankruptcy case involving Agri Ag Rabo Agrifinance. 
and the cattle conspiracy coming out of the Kentucky-based cattle operation. The bankruptcy judge in Texas has granted Rabo authority to issue document subpoenas to several people and businesses involved in the financial collapse. The U.S. District Judge Robert L. Jones has granted the motion for the bank to get documents from 11 companies connected with the pair of Texas feed yards, McLean Feed Yard and 7M Feeders, which were both operated by McLean Farms out of Benton, Kentucky. We reported on this story last week uh, about the deceased Robert McLean and the cattle producer scheme that he had put together there. Robbo is reported that they have more than $50 million in unpaid loans in their court filing. They're questioning the possible sale and transfer of nearly 78,000 cattle from the beginning of the year through those operations. So they've conducted their audit. Obviously reported on that last week, they had just discovered a little over 10,000 head and needed to know where the remainder would be. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this, but Rabo is moving forward with their subpoena and that will allow them to have the ability to uh, unearth sale documents and track where they think they're missing fifty to 60,000 head of cattle have gone. Well, Tanner, we are getting some fresh reports here about pork production costs and numbers in 2022 as sow numbers increase slightly Despite higher production costs, 37 of the largest U.S. pig producers added a total of 99,000 sows for inventory of more than 4.2 million sows in total within these operations in 2022. That's a 2.4% increase. The greatest expansion we've seen in pork powerhouse series since 2018. So this represents some cautious optimism among top pork producers this year as we've seen record high production costs, tightening margins, and continued regulatory challenges as we've reported here with Prop 12. But higher production costs were driven by inflation and a bigger shift in supply and demand and cost of inputs. But all in all, as we look at the future here of the pork industry and pork production, According to the National Pork Producers Council analysis of numbers from Iowa State Extension, pork producer feed costs, which constitute about 60% of per head costs, were up 24% in 2022. And as of right now, that trend is largely expected to continue here into 2023, Tanner. So while we're seeing definitely an increase in sows and potential head, we're also seeing a huge increase in cost of production. So at some point here, we may see things come back the other way. That's certainly right. New Holland was recently awarded the Green Good Design Award for its T7 methane-powered liquefied natural gas tractor. This is the first tractor in the world to run on liquefied natural gas as opposed to compressed natural gas. It comes with a 270 horsepower engine and delivers just as much power and torque as a similarly sized diesel tractor. This is important according to the award because New Holland's prototype T7 methane tractor is one piece of a larger strategy to build a sustainable production system for livestock operations. Its current design produces biomethane from dairy facilities. That gas is then stored as fuel for the tractor, such as the New Holland T7 methane unit, 
or can be used to produce electricity and heat for those operations. So as a broader scale, Case New Holland's industrial clean energy leading strategy is ongoing and is working outside of their walls partner with ag producers, their ongoing effort for nearly 20-year investment in alternative fields. Fuels has recently provided these efforts to put a controlling stake on this side of the industry. So it's kind of interesting there, Delaney. It'll be exciting to see as this chicken and egg type puzzle gets put together as to if livestock operations are able to utilize this technology sooner rather than later. And when New Holland will start putting this prototype into a little bit more of mass production. Well, Tanner, we have just one day until the Russian-Ukraine grain initiative corridor deal is not extended. And then we head into unknown territory. But as talks continue, we really haven't seen anything official on the books this week, although I'm sure things are going on behind closed doors. As talks continue, however, USDA released this week a dashboard, they're calling it, seeking to show the value of the region for food security. So I was playing around with this dashboard this morning. It's a fairly simple, straightforward dashboard looking at the impact that the Black Sea region has on grain food security throughout the entire world. And so you can play around with the different types of commodities. You can filter by region, by year, by um, level of, I guess, food security, if you want to call it that. And so it's kind of an interesting little tool, but it looks at really specifically, Tanner, what are those countries that are very heavily impacted by a lack of an extended deal. So for example, the dashboard shows that Yemen is a large um, importer of grains coming from the Black Sea region. They're highly import dependent. And so it's just interesting to look at all the different countries. Kenya is another big one here that's highly dependent on imports, Iraq, Sierra Leone, a lot of obviously African countries, as we've talked about here on the podcast, but kind of an interesting tool all in all to look at here. And they said as far as food importers go, that could be exposed to trade disruptions and coordination failures. As we look at the level of exposure to trade disruption in the Black Sea region, uh, that's really looking at the exports coming out of Ukraine, Turkey, Bulgaria, Georgia, Moldova, Romania, and of course, Russia. So those are the countries they're looking at as far as impact goes to other countries around the world. But kind of an interesting tool that USDA released and maybe a good data tool, I suppose, for people interested in that type of thing. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see that data surface in a couple of economists' presentations as they start to travel for some of these summer events and field days, continuing to keep an eye on Russia-Ukraine battle, hit a couple of quick headlines here. We do have one reported death and more injuries being reported out of the latest Russian shelling. They're looking at the frontline regions in eastern and southern Ukraine as far as where a majority of these injuries are coming from. Ukraine's security service has launched criminal proceedings against six of Kiev's residents who allegedly posted images of the country's air defense systems at work online. So another potential breach of information there as well. The last ship, like you said, Delaney, uh, left. We'll continue to keep an eye on things. But CNN is reporting that talks are continuing 
even though that agreement is set to expire on Thursday. And U.S. officials are now on site with representatives assessing the damage that we reported yesterday to the U.S.-made Patriot Air Defense System as collateral to the battle on uh, on the Ukrainian side for the war against Russia. Ukrainian trips, troops are still advancing uh, towards Russian defenses, continuing to regain strongholds in ports of Ukraine. So there's positive news there as well. And fighter jets are getting closer to being delivered as the UK and Netherlands continue to pledge their support. And that comes as a request from President Zelensky. So there's your latest headlines for the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. But then there's also some potential conflict here between the U.S. and Mexico, as Mexico has asked Texas to halt costly cargo inspections and has issued that they will file a complaint with the U.S. under the USMCA. Mexico's economy ministry is urging the U.S. state of Texas to remove inspections of cargo crossing the border which they said in a statement on Monday is causing millions of dollars in losses for U.S. and Mexican firms. The Mexican government said they will file a complaint with the Trade Facilitation Committee under the USMCA agreement, which came into effect in 2020. Uh, But earlier this month, Texas started inspecting commercial vehicles crossing into the state from Mexico at a bridge connecting the Texas city of Brownsville with the Mexican city of Matamoras. So... Interesting that they just started doing inspections there, but current inspections are causing costly delays of 8 to 27 hours, according to Mexican officials. But it seems a little weird that they were not already doing inspections of things crossing the border. That's interesting. I'm glad that you reported on that. All I have, uh, lastly, is more antidote comments coming from John Kerry, Special President's Envoy for Climate highlighted the need for agriculture to address emissions and fight against climate change during a keynote that he provided at the AIM for Climate Summit. He noted that ag production accounts for nearly 33% of global greenhouse gas emissions, making it essential to focus on reducing these emissions in the pursuit of a net zero future. John Kerry also stated that there's 750 million people who are starving, but we do not want to make it harder for them to get access to food. So he's not looking to penalize agriculture in his plans as far as that goes. There's a huge list of pros and cons for the different projected solutions that his team has proposed. Of course, this comes as news from the USDA announced their $11 billion bill for rural clean energy transition plan. The Biden administration plans to make nearly $11 billion in grants and loan opportunities available to rural and electric providers like Delaney reported on earlier this week. But John Kerry is the one that's sitting on the hot seat right now as he has unveiled a portion of that plan. The Empowering Rural America program makes $9.7 billion of this available to eligible rural electric cooperatives in a plan for deploying renewable energy systems and zero emission projects, as well as carbon capturing systems. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, Delaney. But right now, it looks like there may be a battle between ag and John Kerry's committee as to how and when these funds will get used in agriculture 
to push towards this green energy goal that they have. But that's what I've got for news today. All right, Tanner. Well, I don't think I have any other headlines here. Aside from chat and markets, as we head into the opening session here today, we're still seeing sharp sell-offs across the grain markets. July corn down 13 and a half cents in the overnight at 567 and three quarters. Dees new crop corn down six pennies in the overnight. We'll open here this morning at 499 and a quarter. July soybeans today down pretty significantly, as well as meal and oil. July soybeans down 11 and three quarters cents at 13.52 and a quarter. Nove new crop beans down nine and a half cents at 11.97 and a half. July hard red winter wheat today, the only market pushing higher in the overnight up four and a half cents at 8.99 and three quarters. In the livestock pits here, a quick reminder at where things closed yesterday. June live cattle shed 45 cents at a buck 63.87. August feeder cattle added 42.5 cents. We'll open here this morning at 231.47 and a half. And June lean hogs added $1.05. We'll open here today at 87.20. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation chatting Kansas wheat production today. Well, as the Kansas wheat tour is going on this week, we are chatting with Kansas wheat farmer Logan Stevens up in the northwest corner of Kansas. Logan, you guys are still pretty dry up there. Have you been getting any rains lately? Yeah, we got uh, we got a couple inches over a couple of days there. It uh, it's looking pretty bleak though. There's a lot of wheat guys are going to have to spray, um, but uh, no wheat wheat's looking okay on, under irrigated. A lot of the stuff on dry land if it was summer fallow. Um, you know, it's going to be harvestable maybe, but it's not going to be 20, 30 bushel, maybe, maybe even if that, I know a lot of guys, um, in our area, they've turned cows out just because we're so far behind on grass that, you know, a little bit of wheat's better than nothing. Um, but I know a lot of guys are going to have to run a sprayer over it and, uh, kill it just because it's, uh, insurance has already released it. So it's going to be a pretty quick harvest this year, I'd assume. And most of it will be done by hundred foot, 20 foot booms. So. <laughs> That's probably how it's going to go. So, so when a farmer does come in and terminate a crop like that, what's the next steps? Is it gets planted back to spring wheat, or does it end up being a different crop? No, they'll probably just let it sit, try and conserve moisture. Because if there's any ground covered all out here, that's that's kind of what we like to do. And you know, we're so short of feed right now. You could uh, you could probably because a lot of guys didn't put rave down and rave is it's a wheat herbicide, you know, and, and so if you, if you didn't put that down, you could go in and work it and then you could uh, go back in and plant feed or something if you wanted to or graze it and then work it, plant feed. Cause we, uh, we're pretty, we're pretty busy out here with feed yards. We got a, we got a bunch of feed yards around and last year was actually crazy. We're so short on feed that during the drought last year, um, a lot of failed corn got uh, bailed. They bailed up a lot of, failed corn and they were selling for feed yards for 150 bucks a ton so you know any, i think everybody a lot of the cow calf guys are going to be putting a lot of feed in and uh that's probably where a lot of those wheat acres will go so looking obviously like the coffee shop talk is where i think we get a lot of information from fellow farmers what are you hearing from guys as far as how this drought rates to past crop years that they've had oh you know a lot of guys that I've talked to, they, I mean, there's a lot of negativity and I don't know how you can, you know, how, how there wouldn't be, but, um, 
a lot of guys tell me this is probably some of the worst they've ever seen. And we've been really spoiled out here in our neck of the woods the last couple of years because I think it was four or five years ago, we probably had record dry land stuff that were corn that we we raised ourselves. And, uh, you know, last year, let's see, 2021, which got pretty dry. You know, last year we didn't pick a single acre of corn on dry land. Um, and a lot of guys, they, uh, they fashioned it off and just let it sit. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot of rain to get guys motivated to want to, uh, get out and put corn in the ground and spend some money. Cause it's, it's pretty tough. I think last year, you know, if you look in Southwest Kansas, they had, I think five inches of rainfall in the garden city area. And a lot of that came outside of the plant or the, the growing season. And so, you know, after a year like that, it's going to take, and I think that actually set records for the lowest rainfall on uh, on record for them down there. And it's hard to believe that we're dry. And then you look down there and they're even drier than we are. And it's kind of unfathomable because you get into that Southwest Kansas area and the Panhandle, Oklahoma, and it's, it's really, really bad. So, and I know we're bad and it's just, uh, it's a situation that we'd rather not be in, but I guess mother nature, she, she's kind of got us in the friend zone relationship right now, giving it up to everybody else, but us. So, <laughs> so we had reported yesterday too that it seems like some uh kansas legislation was also coming down the pipeline in regards to those that are trying to irrigate off the ogallala aquifer so not only do you have dry and that's causing issues to your dryland corn what types of pressures are you now seeing on irrigated ground uh you know we've been in limas for years um, but a lot of the wells out here you go out west uh, where we are and you'll have some bigger size wells, but where we're at right now, um, we can't even pump the allotted amount that we're given. But what we have noticed in the last year or two that we do have our gallons are dropping off because my dad manages our water pretty darn well. And, and we ended up renozzling a lot of pivots twice last year just because we had to keep them running. And um, a couple of them went from 350 gallon a minute down to 250 to even 200. So you know, but I think there was, you know, with record snowfall in the mountains, hopefully you see the aquifer come back a little bit this year. But, you know, that's that's something they're going to have to manage over time, probably. And that's that's the uh, that's the thing that that really holds us back anyway. So. Logan, you also mentioned that that area is obviously a very heavy cattle country as well. And a lot of folks dealing with feed shortages. Do you think we'll see a lot of guys moving cattle out early? because they're not able to graze or have uh, good supplies of feed? Yeah, actually, you know, last year, um, if you ran around the sale barns, a lot of places, there there were a lot of coal cows going out. Um, and so it, it's kind of making me wonder, there's some sales that have been going on here earlier, and there have been quite a few guys getting rid of some of their older cows and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and there's guys kicking cows out on grass right now, and I've seen some grass cattle in the area. But, uh, you know, our grass, it's it's nothing nothing short of, uh, you know, well, how do I want to say that? It's uh, our grass out here, it just, it's like a golf, it's like a golf fairway. You know, it's green, but it's, it's short, short. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of upside. I, I don't know, guys are going to have cows turned out. They're going to have to find uh, alternative feed because, I, I know quite a few guys who are just dry lotting them all summer. Um, they they found hay somewhere. They built up some failed crops last year, and uh, that's kind of their plan. 
So it's going to be it's going to be another tough one. But if guys can hold on their cow herds, I think there's a lot of upside with the cows this year. So something else that we reported a lot on last year was wildfires. What type of uh, risk are you seeing in your area due to how dry it's been for a potential for more fires this year? You know, it's a. Uh, it actually greened up quite a bit. We got, so we got two inches um, here last Thursday night and then another inch Friday. And since then you wouldn't believe how green it's gotten. So, and I think, you know, most of the cows have eaten off any of the dry grass and in, in any of the pastures around here. So if there's a fire, you know, right now, it, it'd be pretty impressive to see that happen because there's just nothing to burn, you know? And uh, I actually saw quite a few pastures even blowing last year. You get a dust storm coming and they're just, it's it's crazy to think of how dry it got how fast because you know last year it didn't help anything because we were i think it was 47 days of 100 plus degree heat and you know that that factored into a lot of it and this year you know if we get that kind of heat then i'm sure you know we get dried out and there's going to be some more fires because it just uh there's nothing to stop it out here and once it gets to blowing you know because dodge city kansas i think is one of the top windiest cities in the u.s and um we're about two hours north of there. And I think, I can't remember if it was during one month, they had an average 17 mile an hour consistent wind. And, uh, you know, when you pair that with fires and that, that turns into a nightmare, they're pretty quick. So, you know, fingers crossed, hope we don't have any fires this year, but so far we're starting off in the right direction. So. Yeah, we certainly hope you guys don't have that either. And Hopefully you guys can get in, get planted and, and get out and at least have some sort of crop to salvage. But Logan, we super appreciate you hopping on with us this morning and hopefully you have a great rest of your planting season. Everything goes as planned. And I really hope you guys get some rain because you really could use it. We could send ours there. I, I wish we could. Yeah, well, by all means, you can send it this way. I got a one of my dad's friends, a meteorologist and and before we were planting, I said, what, what are the odds, Dean, that we get some, uh, we started getting a pattern change out here. And he says, he says, well, it's not looking very good, but maybe towards the end of May. And it's starting to look like it, uh, it's maybe going to turn around because, you know, I, I asked him, I said, we're going to turn into a high desert out here. And he said, turn into one, you already are. <laughs> and um, it just, you know, I guess we keep sending prayers for rain and, and hopefully they keep coming. So that would be okay with us. Well, there you go. It uh, was a mix, Delaney, of good news and bad news. Glad to hear that they're starting to green back up, but they've got a long ways to go. So appreciate us getting a little bit of uh, update on what our friends down south are experiencing. Yeah, absolutely, Tanner. And hopefully they get some good timely rain because it sounds like they could use it. And I really, really hope they don't have to deal with uh, any sort of wildfires again, but that is the risk this time of year. So hopefully the weather pattern really starts to take hold and like Logan was mentioning there and we see some improvements coming out of that area but this week you know the Kansas wheat tour certainly has been a reflection of otherwise so more to come on that later this week listeners but in the meantime you can follow along with us on social media Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Ag News Daily Tanner but that should we let the people go let's let them go <laughs>